Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. John chapter 13, we'll start reading at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own. Now you have to remember, this is the night before his crucifixion. He's loved his own. 33 years on this earth, spent loving people, which were in the world. He loved them, look what it says, unto the end. I don't know any better way to describe the love of Jesus Christ than this right here and the way John described it. He simply loved them unto the end. Knowing what he knew, suffering what he suffered uh, until his very last breath and even until his ascension into heaven, he loved them until the very end. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing, mark those two words. Those, that's an incredible insert into the passage. Jesus knowing, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only. Look at the way Peter recovers. <laughs> okay, Lord, just give me a bath. But also my hands and my head, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and taken his garments, and was set down again, he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and say ye well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. As we continue in our study of the life of Peter, we come to a text where you can't help but seeing the love of Jesus Christ revealed. And as I read the scripture... I try to imagine what's taking place. I try to imagine the setting. Here the disciples are gathered together. And after the supper, Christ gets up, takes off his outer garment, grabs a towel, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. I wish I could have been there because I like reading people's body language, and I would have loved to have seen the faces of each disciple. 
the reaction. Now, we don't know the reaction of the other 11, but we do know Peter's reaction because it's recorded in Scripture. And once again, we see him quickly responding. And it was Peter that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He knew that this was the Messiah. He knew this was God in the flesh, and he couldn't handle the thought. Now, be careful. Don't be critical because I think highly of Peter because of his natural response, which was, Lord, Lord, don't do that. Don't, please don't wash my feet. Maybe he sat painfully watching as Christ washed the other disciples' feet, thinking he shouldn't be doing this. I hope he stops before he gets to me. But he didn't stop. When Jesus came to Peter, he knelt down and Peter said, Lord, please don't do this. I don't want you washing my feet. But the point of this text is for us to understand and to comprehend on some level the love of the Lord Jesus Christ towards man and mankind, which is incredible, hard to understand. Uh, and I know John, I'm sure under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he spoke of the love of God, he simply said, behold the love of the Father. What else are you going to say? How are you going to get this truth across and they had known his love. They had seen his love. But let's take a look at it here in chapter 13. It says, he loved them until the very end. And when Christ took off this outer garment, put on a towel, when he girded himself with this towel, that was love. Because he was taking on himself the form of a servant. And I want you to think for just a minute what he was doing because in verse Three, it says, Jesus knowing. He knew, look, in verse 2, that the supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. And I want you to think for a second, when he grabbed that towel, the minute he grabbed the towel and he looked at the 12, he pushed his plate aside, he went and got a water basin. And when he washed their feet, I don't believe for a minute he was looking at their feet. He was looking at them in the face. He looked them in the eyes, and as he goes one at a time, I want you to think about a love without limitations because he knows tonight as he washes John's feet, John is going to fall asleep in the position of prayer three times. And as I go into the agony, the agony of death, the agony of knowing that I'm going to bear the sins of mankind, John will be sleeping. I know when I'm arrested that, that Judas is going to be the cause and that Judas, as he washes his feet, he knows this is the man that will betray me for 30 pieces of silver. And he goes to the next, he goes to Andrew, he knows tonight you will run and you will hide in fear. And he looks him in the eye and with love and mercy and grace washes his feet. And he moves to Peter knowing this man will curse, this man will deny me three times. Now, if washing someone's feet wasn't difficult enough, imagine knowing what he knew. Now, let me ask you this. What limits your love? You know what limits your love? Knowledge. You're fine with people until you get to know them. 
You're fine with people and get, until you get knowledge of certain faults and failures and defects and problems. And as soon as you know too much, that stops you from loving. Now, let me ask you this. We're supposed to gird up the loins of our mind. We're supposed to cast down imaginations and every thought. We're supposed to bring into the obedience of Christ. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes we know too much. We know less than we think we know, but it's still too much. And if you're going to be a Christian, and if you're going to love, and if you're going to gird yourself with a towel, you're going to have to learn to filter what goes into your mind. We're supposed to take this example. We'll see that in just a minute. We're supposed to love as Christ loves. But here's what happens. We eagerly, at some point in life, in humility, we take off our garment, we gird ourselves with a towel, we go to wash someone's feet, but just about the time we get close enough to know them, we see something that we don't like, and we say, you know, I, I can't wash his feet. That proximity, that knowledge... And let me just say this, because we don't filter the information that comes into our hearts and minds. You know what you need to do? You need to filter out the noise of the gossip. Say, I don't want to hear gossip. Just, just put up a natural filter there and say, I don't need to hear that. I don't want to know that. That's useless information. How many already have information overload? Say, preacher, why don't you have a Facebook account? Why don't you read emails? Why don't, you know why? That's information overload. I know too much as it is. Get away, distance yourself, and filter out the words of the angry, the words of the discontent, the words of the gossip. Just say, I need to have a built-in Christian filter in my ears to protect my mind. Because here's what happens. When you have three or 400 in a church like we do, you have three or 400 sinners saved by grace. And guess what? If you listen too much at some point, you'll be disappointed with anybody on the planet. You'll even be disappointed with yourself. Now, let me ask you this. If everyone knew what you know about you, how disappointed would they be? Aren't you glad that not everyone knows everything about you? Aren't you glad that not everyone knows about the you of this week or the you of this month or the you of this year? Aren't you glad that God limits people's knowledge? So don't make yourself the official investigator of the average Baptist church. Just say that's in God's hands. Do you, how many believe God can do his job? Amen. You know what I found in the independent Baptist movement? We're not, we're, we have a God we're not even satisfied with. Because God is the provider, the Holy Spirit is the convictor, and Jesus Christ is the Savior. And you know what independent Baptists want to do? They want to play those three roles. They want to be the convictor in everyone's life. They want to be the provider. Or if not, for their own pride's sake, I want to be someone's savior. That is not your job. That's God's job. Now, here's how you will help yourself. Here's how you'll keep your sanity. And you're supposed to, listen, at the end of this, we're going to see the command that we're supposed to do as Jesus Christ did. We're supposed to gird ourselves with a towel. And here's the problem, because you don't have the mind of Christ. Now, Philippians 2 does give you that command. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself, what did he do? Of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in the fashion as a man. That's amazing. But here's what he did. 
He said, when I come down, I can know these men. Now think about this. He saw these men. He didn't just see them. He was God in the flesh. He read their thoughts. Can you imagine if you'd been with someone for three years and they read every thought that passed through your mind? Every thought, every day. They listened to you speak. They watched you act and react. Now let me ask you this. If you could read someone's mind for three years, could you stand to be in their presence? Now he didn't just put up with them. He didn't just support them. He pulled out a towel. And the Bible says, knowing what he knew, after three and a half years with each one of them, knowing Judas for 30, I would have thought reading his mind, wait a minute, I'm worth more than 30 shekels. Could you make that gold rather than silver? That's a low blow. 30 shekels of silver? You couldn't get a better price than that? Peter, really? All this time I've invested in you and now you're going to curse and cuss and say you don't even know me? You've got to be kidding me, Andrew. You were bringing people to me, and now in my neediest moment, you're going to run, you're going to flee, you're going to hide, you're going to abandon me? Now, the more the mind of Christ you have, the more you can know and yet love. But if you don't share the mind of Christ, you better understand your knowledge may limit your love, so you better just, if you don't have a mature love, just limit your knowledge. Block it out. I'm sorry, I don't have time for that. The best thing you can do is say, I don't need to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And even if you did tell it to me, we, neither one of us would probably ever know the truth. It's going to come tainted. I don't want you to taint my opinion of that person. So let's do everyone a favor. He took that information and what did he do with it? Let me ask you this. 12 men. Three and a half years together. When Judas betrayed, matter of fact, at this supper, at this meal, it was asked. Remember Peter poking John and saying, ask him, ask him, come on, John, ask him. What? The question, who? And John's leaning on his breast. And he looked at Peter and said, come on, Peter, I can't do this. Just ask him. Uh, Lord, so who is it that's uh, going to betray you? Why is it that they didn't know if Jesus knew? Because he didn't take bad information and spread it. He overlooked it and said, despite their faults, despite their failures, despite who they are, you know what I'm going to do? Love them. To the very end, I'm going to love them. Now, here's the amazing part. It's, did you know love is really based on humility? So the more pride you have, the less love you have. The more humble you are, the more you'll love you know what you're saying in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships? You're saying, I'm a very proud person because I can't put up with them. I can't overlook their faults. And in your pride, you limit your love. Now, let me ask you, where did this deep love, this endless love, this mature love come from? A heart of humility. Love hinges on humility. So if you're not humble, you won't be a loving Christian. A proud Christian is never a loving Christian. But look what it says in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, in his mind, he knew I'm about ready to go to Calvary. He said, 
I came from the Father. That means he was deity. He was God in the flesh. And he's going back to the Father to be exalted forevermore. He knows this. God inserts this in Scripture right before he washes their feet. What is going through the mind of Christ? I know I came from God. I know because of me all things exist and consist. And without me, nothing can exist. He is the king. He is the Lord of lords. Look, keep your finger here for just a minute. Put your Bible marker in this passage and go with me to Mark chapter 14. One of my favorite Bible stories is the events surrounding the Last Supper are simply amazing, but this is one of my favorite stories, Mark chapter 14, verse 13. And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good men of the house, the master saith, where's the guest chamber? Where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. So he grabs two of his disciples. And he says, come here for a minute. I would guess Peter was included here. You know Peter. What was Peter always doing? Raising his hand, always volunteering, always wanted to be the first to help. So if Christ said, I need two of you, there's Peter. There's another disciple with him. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Look what the scripture says. I want you to go downtown, and I want you to find the man that's carrying a pitcher of water, and I want you to follow him. Okay, you know what that means? So when, as soon as you see the man carrying a pitcher of water, you follow him everywhere he goes. You just follow him. Don't lose it. Did you get that? And wheresoever he shall go in, when he, you follow him till he steps into the house or into the building, and you say to the good men of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber? Got it? So what's the plan? You go downtown, you find the man carrying the pot of water, you follow him till he goes in the house, and then you walk up to the good man of the house and you say, what are you going to say? The ma- no, 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 you got to get this right. Thank you, Peter. The master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? Now, have you ever thought about that? Can you imagine if uh, someone said, you know what, Pastor, we're going to have a wedding and a lot of people are going to be here and they're not going to fit in our auditorium. We need a place for about 600 people. What should we do? Why don't you two just go downtown? You're going to see a man down there with a blue striped shirt and a pink tie, big cowboy boots. Just follow him. And when he walks into the building, just say, the pastor saith, where's the guest chamber? We need it for the wedding. How many volunteers do I have? No one. Now, why could Jesus Christ do that? Did you realize he was walking on the ground that he had created? He had... He was drinking the water that he had put into existence. The very sun that made drops of sweat run down his back, he was the one that spoke when it came into existence. This world is his. This planet is his. 
Every house on the planet is his. He was simply going to his own house. And he said, just tell them the master. Any other information you want us to give? No. Just say, the master has sent thee. Where's the guest chamber? Now, why could he get away with that? And you can't. You're not the creator. You're not the owner. You're not the one in charge of the universe. He is. Now, think about this for a minute. I want you to think that he had put deep into the heart and mind of Peter, this is the Lord of all. This is the creator. This is the very son of God. Peter knew that. That's why Peter balked. That's why Peter backed up. That's why Peter resisted. When he went to wash his feet, he said, I can't do that. I can't accept that. You can't be the one that washes my feet. I should be the one that's washing feet. There's only one problem. No one had stepped up to do the task when they'd originally walked in to eat. It was a task that was left undone because no one, they're the 12 disciples. They're the hand-picked. We've gone through the institute of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his personal followers. Who's going to wash the feet? There was no servant here. They gave us the chamber. They gave us the party room. We have the supplies. We're going to celebrate the Last Supper. But there's only one thing missing, a servant to wash the feet. So here's what Jesus did. They knew that someone was supposed to be there to wash the feet. They'd walk dirty streets when they walked in the house. Someone should have been there to greet them, pull out a water basin. So they ate with dirty feet, and Christ knew he had just a few hours left with these men, still some very important lessons to learn. They knew his position. Now, according to the customs, the rabbis were supposed to show extreme humility, but they were never supposed to take off their outer garment and take a lower seat. Here's what Christ did. He took off his position. He girded himself with a towel. Now, what was going through the mind of the disciples? This is love because he knows their thoughts. This is humility because he's the creator of the universe. You can't get any higher in position than the king of kings. Now look what it says. Go back to John chapter 13 for just a minute. Verse 4. He riseth from supper. Now let me ask you this. At this point, wouldn't you think, let's just leave it alone. Everyone's already eating. The feet haven't been washed. The servant wasn't in place. Let's just leave well alone. But no, he does something that takes himself out of the comfort zone. You know, one of the biggest enemies of Christianity is comfort. You know, we want, you know, we want it in this world. You know what your flesh wants? It wants to be comfortable. And even once you get saved, you get born again. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You go to the house of God. You get involved in the work of God. You still do the same fleshly thing you did before you got saved. And that's what you seek a comfort zone. So you only get as involved as your flesh is comfortable. You only do as much as your flesh is comfortable with. And normally we're not looking to serve if it bothers us, if it makes us uncomfortable, if it pulls us out of our comfort zone. You know where your limitations are as a Christian. Whatever makes me uncomfortable, that's where I stop. That's the end of your Christianity. So if it's a long service, maybe if it's singing, maybe it's giving, maybe it's soul winning, 
You know what you do? You jumped into ministry where you could get comfortable. You jumped out when it got uncomfortable. And here he is leaving his comfort zone. He leaves the table. Look what it says he does. He riseth, he lays aside his garments, he takes a towel, he girds himself, pours water into a basin, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, I want you to think about something here for just a minute. Come here for a minute, Dave. I'm going to put both of us in an awkward position. I want you to sit right up here on the platform. Now, can you imagine, I, in comparison, hold nothing of a position that would compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. If I were to come and wash David's feet, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to kneel down. Now, what is it to shake a hand, to thumb someone in the ear, to rub their head? That's one thing. But to actually touch their feet, that's something different altogether. Number one, it puts you in an uncomfortable position. That's knees on concrete, knees on dirt, knees on hardened sand. That's putting you lower than them. So the God of the universe now puts himself lower than the man who will betray him and the man who will deny him and the man who will sleep through his prayer of agony the very man that will run and flee and hide at the darkest moment of his life, Christ is putting himself lower than them. And as he carefully washes their feet, now can you imagine, I don't know how the other disciples felt, but I do know that Peter recalled in horror. I'm sure as he watched, I don't know if he was the second or the eighth or the 10th person in line, but he was on the edge. He couldn't stand it. It was bothering him. He was thinking. Now, I'm sure at this point, he was ready to say, why did I get in here when we first walked into the building and just wash people's feet? What is going on here? Why is Christ down there on his knees washing our feet? But there was an extreme lesson to be learned here. He wanted to let these disciples know I need you to understand. He told Peter, he said, right now, you're not going to understand this. These truths did not sink into their hearts and minds when they were first said, first mentioned, or first seen in the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what did he tell Peter? You're not going to understand right now, but in the hereafter, once you all mess up, you'll understand the depth of my love. Why do you think these men were willing to die for Christ, stabbed, beaten, fed to the lions, crucified. Don't you think this was part of it? Jesus, knowing what we would do before we ever did it, knowing our thoughts, our hearts, our motives, our intentions, he was there saying, I'm still going to treat you as someone better than I with a servant's heart, with great humility, with love. I'm going to come out of my comfort zone and do something for you that you do not deserve. I don't know how I would have reacted under those circumstances. Obviously, I think it was a little bit deeper in Peter's heart and mind that this was the very Christ, the Son of the living God, maybe deeper than it was in the rest. But here's what Christ was doing. Christ was giving to the disciples a visual confirmation of his love. 
a verbal and a visual. Now, let me ask you this. It's not enough to love someone. They need confirmation. And here's where we mess up in marriage. You say, well, you know, 25 years ago, uh, we stood up and I said, I do. And you said, I do. And we kissed each other. And I told you, I love you. With all my heart, I love you. And if that ever changes, I'll let you know. And so for the next 20 years, she doesn't hear it. That woman needs confirmation of your love. That's what a new dress does for her. That's what flowers say. I love you and I want to give you a visual confirmation of my love because love needs to be seen. Love needs to be confirmed. And here's what Christ was telling the disciples. I'm going to give you a visual confirmation of my love and I'm going to do something for you that's going to stick in your hearts and minds until your death. You're going to know I love you, although you don't deserve it, although you shouldn't receive it, I still love you. Go with me to verse 13. Let's go to verse 12. So after he'd washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said to them, Know you what I've done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, he wasn't giving them a command to physically wash feet. He was giving them a command to love one another with the same love that he had. And he told them, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If you love one another. Now, why is it that the world doesn't understand or want what we have? Because they're not getting a visual confirmation of our love for each other. For I have given you, verse 15 says, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Let me ask you this. This right here would change our lives. John 13, the principle of John 13 would change our lives. Christ said, I washed your feet. I gave you an example. There's no message he could have preached that, that would have been more powerful than this one right here that would have had a greater impact the rest of their lives. Until they died, they could visualize the Lord Jesus Christ taking off his outer garment, grabbing a towel, and one by one washing their feet. And then he gave them an invitation. Here's the town. Now, here's a question. Because the bottom line is this. No matter how limited you are in your love, you've all girded yourself with a towel. Everyone in here at some point has girded themselves with a towel. Mothers, you are growing in, in maturity and incredibly, life has forced you to sacrifice your own self and your own selfishness because now you're taking care of a husband. Now you're taking care of children. And you know, you know what you've done? You've learned to use that towel. But let me ask you this. I'm not talking about the people that life forces you to use the towel on. You're girded with the towel. How selective are you? You know what your selectiveness is based on? Your knowledge. And your knowledge limits your love. You can't read people's hearts and minds. You think you can't. You don't know people. You think you do. You think you know the truth. You really don't. But God's given you a towel, and here's what most Christians do. They go through life. They know the command. They've heard the story. Never visualized it. 
But they know that they're supposed to love as he loved. They're supposed to wash feet, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. They're supposed to humble themselves and love one another. Read John 13 through 17. Read the prayer of Christ when he speaks about God, the relationship that I have with you, the oneness that I have with you. I want my disciples to have that same oneness, that same unity, that same love. And he tells them in his last lesson, this is it. This is his last lesson. Before he's crucified, before, I know before his ascension, he gives them the great commission. But this is one of the highest impact lessons that he can give them. This is something that he wants to stick in their hearts and minds the rest of their ministry. He's handing them a towel and saying, what are you going to do with it? And here's what we do in our own selfishness. I'll use this on my children. But I know too much about you. I'm not washing your feet. Hold on for a minute. You're my best friend. I have always loved Tony. Tony, give me your feet. But, brother, I'm just, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't care for your personality. I, I've never cared for you. And I've, I've heard some things about you. And we walk through life and we say there's about six people on the planet, maybe seven. You're not one of them. I hope you never need a towel. I hope you never have dirty feet. Here's what Christ said. Biblical love. Love the Father. Righteous love. Always includes the feet. So if you really love someone, you love all of them, even their feet. You know what that means? Even the part that stinks. You know when you have a good marriage, when you have biblical love, when you say, I love all of you, even your feet. That's biblical love. But you know what we do? We limit and say this. You know what? I, I, I love your hair. I love your jewelry. I love your suit. I just don't love your feet. And we think we have a biblical love. And here's what we've told people. I'll shake hands with you. Don't expect me to wash your feet. And we put limitations on our love. And here's why the work of God is limited. Because everyone's carrying a towel and everyone's proud of their towel. And everyone considers themselves a servant because they found someone in life who is worthy of their love and feet washing. There are kids that don't even think their own parents are worthy of having their feet washed. They can't even love their own parents. Let me, let me see. They put up with you. They provided for you all those years and you can't get low enough to wash their feet. And here's what we do. Before I can wash your feet, I need to know something about you. There's only one problem. Your love is so mature. The more you know, the less likely you are to wash feet. You know what you want? You want a job that no one needs. You want to wash clean feet. So let me see. If someone has a clean enough foot, did you bathe five minutes ago? Oh, brother, you look pretty clean to me. But as soon as you know, as soon as you see, as soon as you smell, you know what? Uh-uh. There's a lesson here. And Christ said, I want you to understand something. If I wash Judas's feet, and I wash Peter's feet, and I wash James' feet, and I wash John's feet, here's what I'm telling you to do. You do the same. You don't get to pick and choose. If you're going to have my kind of love, you're going to have biblical love. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to gird yourself with a towel, and you're going to say, everyone's a candidate 
in the knowledge I have, I'll limit. But my knowledge of you doesn't determine my ability or inability to wash your feet. How many can look at your mate? How many can look at your children? How many can look at your parents? How many can look at your leaders? How many can look at each other? How many church members can look at everyone in this building and say, my love for you includes your feet. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.